things that, uh, well, yeah, let's just get to it. Um, everybody loves to wait. Everyone, they just, they are, they're all about it. Everyone loves to wait. Um, right now, this has nothing to do with uh, waiting, but we do, we always want to encourage everyone to get involved in um, all of our ministries, all of our things. I was the youth and uh, children's pastor for a long time um, here. Most of you guys do know this, and, and so we always wanted to um, encourage people. And when I talk to Pastor Mike about, about preaching, I'm going to be preaching over the next uh, three weeks on, on this series. And Pastor Mike said, hey, I would love to teach uh, in Promised Land two of those weeks because we do two-week rotations for each class. So right now, Pastor Mike is teaching in Promised Land back there. So it's, it's getting intense. I know he's doing deep theology. They are all praying right now. He's saying, you know, how do you guys feel? Feel that out right now. You know, deep, deep, feel that and, and that kind of stuff, doing some TPM back there um, with the, the kindergartners. So um, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, it should... You should work it out. Everybody waits, or loves to wait. Everyone loves to. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about um, this idea of, of waiting on God. And today, this, the title is The Blank of Waiting on God. What is that emotion, what is that feeling for you of waiting on God? So fill in that blank. How do you feel about waiting on God? What is that for you. So three weeks we're going to talk about that. And today, the, the first week is um, of, of that period of waiting on God. When I'm taking something to God and I say, Lord, I need to know what to do about that. And, and then we're in this season of waiting. And, and we don't just get that answer right away. We don't, we don't know what he wants us to do right away. And, and a lot of times that season can be pretty long. That season sometimes can be pretty long. Week number two, next week we're going to get into when God does reveal what he does want us to do, when God speaks, when God shows us what he wants us to do. What is that period? What happens when God does speak? That's what we're going to talk about week number two. And then the third week is when we act on that, when we go forward with God, what God has told us what to do, what, what does that look like when we actually go forward? So three weeks, the waiting, God speaks, and then we go forward but today is is that waiting period and I, I need to know something from God I say God what do you want me to do or, or maybe there's there's a situation in my life and I might have two options or, or more and I say Lord what, what am I supposed to do in this situation do I should I quit my job should I sell my house should, should I marry this person should, should I go to this college or, or that college some some people should I get a divorce as sad as that is should I become a, an elder or a deacon at Christian Fellowship Church hard right and, and and we might we might go through a waiting period and we don't hear and we don't know what God wants us to do and this this period can be a long time and we love it usually right we love this waiting period. No, oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we, we can dread this waiting period. And, and hopefully maybe that, that we are still hearing from God. We're still talking to God. We're still experiencing God. But we, we might not know or we're in this period of not knowing exactly what he wants us to do. And so, so we're waiting and we're waiting. 
and we're waiting. And the story we're going to look at, how we're going to follow this over the next three weeks, is, is the story of Moses and the Israelites between Egypt and the Promised Land, between their experience where, where they are in slavery, and Moses leads them out of that, and, and when they actually go into the Promised Land. That's what we're going to be following over the next three weeks as we go through that. So this is it. Everybody loves to wait, waiting on God. What are we supposed to do? The story we're going to be looking at today, it says Exodus 32, and we're going to be in 24 also, but, but they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses is leading them. They get to Mount Sinai in chapter 19, and, and they're going there, and they reach, they reach Mount Sinai, and God says, all right, stop right there. Stop right there. I need you guys to stop. And before they can go any further, before they can eventually take the promised land, before they can get into what God has told way back to Abraham and said, this is going to be your country for my promised people, before they can go there, they have to get the law. They have to get what God has, what's going to set them apart from every other nation. God has to give them the law and it starts with the Ten Commandments and then an, a, a bunch of other rules that's going to give them the law. God says, I have to give you this before you can go there. I have to give you this. And, and specifically, part of the, the physical representation is going to be these two stone tablets that God is going to write by his finger the law on the front and the back. The, the commandments and, and all these other laws, God is going to write this and he's going to hand it to him. And he's going to tell him, hey, you've got to build this box called the ark. And, and he's going to give him the exact specifications of how to build it. And you're going to carry it in front of all your people. And this is going to be what I want you. And eventually they're going to build a temple. And the ark is supposed to go in the temple. And it's my footstool for God on earth. This is what I want you to have before you go into the promised land. This is what I want you to have before you go any further. You need the law. And so stop right there. Stop at Mount Sinai. Stop right there. And it's pretty wild when you, when you read in chapter 20. Um, we don't think of it this way. You might have to read it a little bit closely. And so if you don't believe me, try it. Um, but, but in chapter 20, God is giving them the ten commandments and, and how it reads if you read it closely it, it looks like God is speaking audibly from the mountain and the people can actually hear God when God is giving the Ten Commandments this is how it reads that God is speaking out loud and the people can actually hear him because at the end of this in, in 2019 I think it is the people say to Moses hey hey don't let God speak to us anymore you go talk to God and then tell us what he says, but we don't want to hear God anymore. If we hear from God, we will die. We don't want to hear God's voice anymore. If we hear God, we will die. And so Moses is like, hey, kids, settle down. You know, All right, fine, I'll go talk to God and you guys stay here. But that's what they say. We don't want to hear God's voice anymore. They are freaked out by God's voice. But they've gone. They've gone from, they've seen the plagues that God did to take them out of slavery. And they've gone, and, and God provided manna and quail, and, and Moses hit a rock and provided water. And they walked through the Red Sea. They've seen all these amazing things, and now they hear God speaking, and they're freaked out. They said, all right, you go talk to God. We, we can't handle this. And so God goes up, or Moses goes up. And now he spends some amount of time talking to God. It doesn't, it doesn't really say at first, 
what he's doing, how, how long. But Moses goes and talks to God, and he receives the first part of the law. Receives the, receives the law. And he comes back, and this is in chapter 24. Moses comes back, and he tells the people the words of the law, and they respond. This is how they say, everything the Lord has said, we will do. This is how they respond. All right, everything the Lord told you, we will do. And so Moses writes it all down. He writes it all down. He gets up early the next morning, and he builds an altar to the, at the foot of the mountain. And he sets up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. This is worship. These are not sin offerings. This is just, it's worship, man. It's just worship. So they said, all right, everything we'll do, man. Everything God told you, we'll do. We'll do it. And he wrote it down. Moses took half of the blood from, from these offerings and put it in bowls. And the other half he splashed against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, so what he just had written down, and he read it again to the people. And they responded the same way. Everything the Lord has said, we'll obey. Everything. Everything that God gave you, all these laws that God just gave you, we'll do it. So Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. It's kind of gross. And he says this, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, right? looks a little bit familiar, the blood of the covenant. Jesus says when, when he is at the last supper, this, this is the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant that, that Jesus gave him. So this is the, the old covenant. And he does this. Skip ahead to uh, verse 12. So the Lord says to Moses, now, they've done all these things. They're excited. They, they got this, this law figured out. And God then says to Moses, he says, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I'm going to give you these tablets. This is what God said. I, I got to give you the law, and now I got to give you these physical tablets. You got to stay here on the mountain, though. You can't go any further. You can't take the promised land until you have these things. I'm going to give you these tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I've, I've written their instruction. God's going to physically write it on these with his finger. Come up and I'm going to give you these things. So Moses set out with Joshua's aid and he went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, all right, you guys wait here. You can't come up. You guys, none of you guys can really come up to where I'm going to go. Wait here until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you. Anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. And Moses went up on the mountain and there was a cloud covering it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And this is wild. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. So God calls him up, and there's this cloud. But for six days, Moses doesn't go in. So God calls him there, but for six days, he's waiting. And he's, and he's waiting. And he's waiting. And then on the seventh day, God says, all right, come in, come in. And then Moses entered the cloud. He went into the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. So this is where we get that 40. Before, it doesn't say how long when he was receiving the law, but now, now he's in there for 40 days and for 40 nights. So we do the math now on this. Before, it was the seven days before he could go in, and now the 40 days and 40 nights. So he's been away probably from the Israelites for some, you know, 47 days. He's been 
away from them and they're down there. They said, we'll obey all this stuff. He's like, all right, I got to go up and talk to God. I got to get the tablets now that he's explained he, or he's told me we got to get. When I was doing Promised Land and we uh, did this story in our theater class, um, I gave the kids two uh, like Kindles and uh, <laughs> to walk out with. They thought it was hilarious too, you know, to have electronic tablets. They thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, yeah, he said, I got to go get the two tablets. I'm going to be back for 40 days and 40 nights though. And now this happens between chapter 24 and the end of 31. God tells him, we read about how to build the tabernacle and, and what are the priests supposed to wear and, and, and some of these just little things like that. It's not a whole lot of stuff. Uh, what, what's supposed to go in the tabernacle and a little bit about how to worship and, and just really a little bit about the Sabbath. It's not a whole lot of stuff about the law, really. It's not law stuff. He already gave them that. It's just a, a few things. Nothing that would have taken 40 days to explain. Nothing that would have taken hardly any time to explain. You can read it in 15 minutes. What was happening for 40 days? What was going on? What was going on? 40 days and 40 nights. He's up on the mountain. We're going to come back to that. Let's, let's leave it there. We're going to come back to that. At the end of the 40 days, this is at the end of uh, chapter 31, it says God gives him the tablets. He writes on there all this stuff, the commandments and the law. He describes or inscribes it by his finger. And then he gets it to it. And then we get to chapter 32. So if you want to read along, go ahead. Chapter 32, verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, I can't believe he's been gone like 47 days. They gathered around Aaron, because Aaron was still there. And they said to him, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened. We don't even know what happened to this guy. Make us, make us some God. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me because I don't know what happened to Moses either. <laughs> I don't know, it's been forever. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. They took what handed them and made them into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, calf and fashioned it with a tool. Right. Looks like a fire on top of the mountain. Yeah, probably he was burnt up up there. He's been gone forever. All right, bring me your gold. I'm going to make into this calf. Then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Not just a, you know, a, a neat new god. These are your gods that brought you up out of Egypt. Then Aaron saw this. He built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival the Lord. The next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings like they did before. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Sounds like my high school. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down. He tells this to Moses. Go down because the people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. I love this because it sounds like when uh, my kids are um, being a little bit crazy and I say to Nikki, your kids are being dumb. Go take care of them, right? And she's like, no, they're your kids. Um, right, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. 
they're not my people anymore. <laughs> they're not my people. Your people, who you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, have brought themselves or made themselves an idol casting the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I might destroy them, and I'll make you into a great nation. This is, this is a wild thing. That, and Moses, or God is saying to Moses, let me just wipe them out and start over again, and, and then you'll be like Abraham, and I'll, I'll restart with you. I'll make you like a new Abraham, and, and we'll just start all over again. It's a little bit hard to know if, if God is, is being um, real here and, and really saying he would do this, or if he's you know wanting to test Moses and make him into a better leader by saying, you know, no, let me... Um, stick up for the people because that's what Moses does do. He says, no, God, you know, let me go down and, and um, you know, I'll deal with them. You promised them, remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this is your promise. And so God does relent and he doesn't wipe them out. So, you know, it's a little bit hard to know exactly, but this is what happens. This is the way that it goes down. This is where they are. So the people, they can't even wait 50 days. And this is where we are. So we opened up, we said this, the title of this is The Blank of Waiting on God. The Blank. Fill that in. How do you feel about waiting on God? How do you feel in any period when you are seeking God, when you say, Lord, I need to know what you want me to do. What, where are you? What, what do you have for me in this? How do you feel about that period? Because how you feel about that will largely determine what you get out of a period of waiting on God unless God really transforms you in that time. How you feel about waiting on God will largely determine what you get out of a season of waiting on God. And a lot of times God will, will allow you to wait and God will really have a, a period of waiting extend because he wants you to get something significant out of that period of waiting. And it's funny that as we're waiting and, and, and we hate the waiting and, and we don't like it and, and we're, we're fighting God or whatever, whatever, usually it takes until we relent and say, all right, God, I'll put it in your hands. And usually that's when the thing actually happens and then we realize what we're supposed to do. But how do we feel about waiting on God will largely determine how much we get out of that season. How much we get out of that season. So when we look at the Israelites first, how did they feel about waiting on God? How did they feel about that? And I'm going to say that, that the Israelites had a real fear of waiting on God because they didn't really believe in Moses and they didn't really believe a whole lot in God. And I don't mean believe in, like, believe in their existence. I mean, like, trust them. Even though God and Moses had brought them out of the hundreds of years of slavery. They never knew freedom. They didn't know any of this kind of stuff. But they didn't really trust them. So when they got out, they said, well, at least, you know, back in Egypt, we had a food and a bed and water. But now the, the desert looks scary. Moses has been gone all this time. So we need a new God. 
And a physical God is something I can see and touch. This little idol thing is something I can see and touch. But this, this God in the sky, I can't see him. I can't touch him. Sometimes he speaks out loud, and Moses is here, but he's been gone for a long time. But, but how do I trust that? And he brought us out in the middle of the desert. He brought us out here to die? Where is this God? I can't, I can't trust that. And so that I have a fear of really trusting God, a fear of really waiting on God. A fear. A fear of waiting on God. If we have a fear of waiting on God, that will determine a lot of times what we get out of this period of waiting on God. The fear of waiting on God often leads to, number one, turning to someone else for the answer. If I have a fear of waiting on God, then even if I say, God, what do you want me to do? Quickly, I will turn to somebody else and say, hey, but what do you think I should do? They gathered around Aaron and said, hey, make us gods who will go before us for this fellow Moses we don't know. Now understand, it does, it's not bad to go to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about this? That's not bad to, to talk to other people, but it's got to be in the context of God's will. It's got to be in the context of what do you think God would have me do? And if it's not biblical, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, it wouldn't be what God would have you do. It cannot be what God would have you do. So it, it's, it's okay to talk to other people. But if I have a fear of waiting on God, I'm going to be quick to seek what somebody else would have me do, what somebody else thinks I should do. And it's going to be uh, against God. It's going to be opposed to, eh, yeah, yeah, God, okay, that's great. But, but somebody else might have a really good idea and, or maybe just my own idea about this. Quick to turn away from God. To seek somebody else. What, what do you think I should do? Because anybody can give me an answer quicker than God. Aaron right now should have been, hey guys, hey, Moses is my brother, number one. Shush it. And number two, didn't you remember all the plagues? Didn't you remember the Red Sea? Don't you remember the water and the rock and the quail and the manna and all these things? He's been gone like a month and a half. Settle down. We don't need this stuff. But, but Aaron was apparently right there with him. It's got to be biblical. It's got to be what would be with God's will. A fear of waiting on God leads to wasting a lot of time and money. Wasting. If I have a fear of waiting on God, often leads to wasting a lot of They said, go, take off your gold earrings and your wives and your sons and bring it here. And he took them. Man, that's a lot of money. Melting down all that gold. Melting that down. Wasting a lot. Of, if I'm seeking God and saying, Lord, should I buy this? Should I do this? Should I, do, you know, whatever kind of a thing. But I have a fear of waiting on God for the answer. And I don't really want to ask God about the answer, even if I'm saying it. Now I'm wasting a lot of time and money on that. And, and a lot of believers even, don't even worry about the world, but a lot of believers are in a really bad financial situation because I have a fear of really waiting on God for the answer. And if I want it, I'm just going to go ahead and buy it anyways. Even if I can't really afford it, I'm still going to get it. If I have a fear of waiting on God, that's how I get into things of wasting a lot of time and money doing things. One of the, the biggest uh, regrets probably that, that my wife and I had is when we moved to Columbus and, and 
we're settling in here, we had been married for like three years or four years or something at that point, and we had all these different apartments. We had always lived in apartments, and uh, so we said, we want to buy a house. That's what, we can't, we can't live in apartments anymore. We just want to buy a house, and we looked at like 50 houses around Columbus, and there was always, you know, this thing or that thing that was wrong with them or whatever, and, and we didn't really understand the city too well. We had never lived here before, even though we grew up in, in Licking County. We had never grown up or been in Columbus. So we didn't really understand a whole lot about the city, and we, we found a house we, we kind of liked eventually in southern Columbus, but we didn't understand kind of the school districts real well and, and um, all that kind of stuff. So, so we were totally closed to the idea of renting again, and we just said, we're going to buy this house no matter what. And so we did. And the house was okay, and it was, it was all right. But we didn't understand the location. We didn't understand the area. And if we would have waited on God and said, you know, Lord, all right, what do you really want us to do? Probably we would have rented. Probably we would have waited. And when the housing market really crashed, man, we couldn't sell that house for anything. And when our kids got to the age where they started getting ready to go into school, and we said, hey, we want to move, we want to be closer to the church. It was like 30 minutes from here with traffic. We want to get closer and, and better schools. We couldn't sell that house for anything. Waiting on God. Lord, what do you really want us to do? Would have saved us a lot of time and money. We had to rent that house for a long time because we did move, and it was not a fun process. All right, let's keep going fear of waiting on God, leads to or can lead to falling away from God into old sin patterns. It says the people rose early, sacrificed these burnt offerings, presented, presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down, eat and drink. This was the, the religion they had come out of, was this polytheism of worshiping false gods. This was the Israel or the, the Egyptian religion they came out of and they went right back to us. It, when we are growing with God and we are getting away from sins, we're growing out of the things from our past, it's awesome. And we get victory and we grow and we grow. But if we get to a season where, where we're waiting on God and we need to know something, but, but, but we don't right away. And that makes me mad. And I have a fear of waiting on God. And I say, God, where are you? I can't handle this. I need to know what this is. And, and I can't handle it. And that easily can lead back into whatever was my pet sin. What was the thing that I used to struggle with? Because if I can't handle not hearing from God and not getting what I want right away, then that easily leads back to whatever was that, that sin, that thing that I used to go to for comfort or excitement or whatever. What was that thing that I had back here? If I can't handle with waiting on God and that frustrates me so much, I can easily go right back here. Number four, and this is the worst, this is the worst, and I hope it wouldn't be true. Number four, possibly losing faith altogether. A fear of waiting on God can possibly lose. This is what they said. These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is what, how is that even possible? How could they even say that? This is, this golden calf is the God that led you out of Israel. That's ridiculous. But if I have such a fear and God is not answering my prayers, God is not answering me. Oh, okay, God, where are you? And, and I'm going through something hard and there's some kind of a life feels like it's breaking down and I don't feel like I'm hearing God and I don't know where God is. Well, fine, God, if you're not going to answer me, then I give up. 
I give up. If I have a fear of waiting, let's go. Let's keep going. Moses, where was he? The blank of waiting on God. Where was Moses? We said how you fill this in largely determines what you will get out of a period of waiting on God. We said Moses was in the the cloud on the mountain for 40 days. God does talk to him. It's recorded there. But that would have taken like an hour or less to give him what he gave him. And he hands him the tablets, the kindles of stone. He hands it to the iPod, iPads, yeah, of stone. That, that would not have taken hardly any time. What is going on for 40 days? It doesn't say there, so this is my, you know, just belief. But I believe God wants him in his presence for 40 days. God wants to just ex- him to experience God's presence for 40 days to be ready to be experiencing him because of all the things Moses is going to have to do to lead these people. God wants him just to experience the Lord's presence for 40 days because when we are waiting and at the same time in God's presence, that is what makes everything possible. And to fill this in, when we are in God's presence, while we wait, it gives us excitement for waiting with God. Pastor Dave, what in the world does that mean? If I am waiting with God while experiencing his presence, that waiting is not scary. That waiting does not have to be horrible because I am waiting with God. God is with me while I'm waiting. He can be speaking to me in the waiting and saying, I know you want to know this and it's coming. I'm going to reveal it to you. I'm going to show it to you, but let me be with you in the meantime. Let me speak to you. Let me talk to you. Let me hang out with you in the meantime, because we are together throughout this process. I'm waiting with you. God is not just silent. God doesn't have to just be missing just because he's not revealing what it will be or what it is down the line doesn't mean he has to be completely silent if we are in his presence every single day in the meantime, until he does reveal that. That can bring excitement to the waiting because we are with God. And God is telling you, man, when this comes, when I do show you this, it'll be better than anything you could ever imagine. Just wait with me. Wait with me. Hear me. Experience me. Wait with me. And that's what makes that waiting period a time when we grow exponentially a time when we grow closer to God than we could ever imagine more than we ever do if we're not waiting on God because we're going through it every single day and Moses is experiencing this in the cloud with God and that brings excitement what does that mean how does this bring excitement number one it can bring if we are excited about waiting on God it brings patience for God to move in his time. That's that, that same idea. He's in the cloud for 40 days. It brings patience for God to move in his time. I learn how to be patient with God. All right, God, you move in your time. I'm excited with this idea of waiting so you can move in your time, God. Now it's not about my time. It's not about my timeline 
It's about your timeline, God. You can move. You move at your speed. It's not about my speed anymore. If I'm experiencing God, if I'm excited about God's movement, about God's waiting period, all right now, Lord, you move in your timeline. Excitement for waiting on God leads to anticipatory worship for what is to come. Anticipatory worship for what is to come. Remember, this 24 is before the waiting period. Moses got up the next morning, builds this altar, the 12 stones, they bring the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. What does this mean? Anticipatory worship says, God, I know what you're going to do at the end of this period is better than anything I could imagine. I don't know what it is now. Maybe it stinks right now. Maybe I'm in a period that stinks. Maybe I'm in something that I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm going through it. I can't handle it. I lost my job and I need a new one, God. I, my, my marriage seems like it's falling apart and I, and I can't figure it out. But anticipatory worship means, Lord, I know how when you do this, when you answer this, when you work, it is going to be awesome. So I can praise you now even before the prayer is answered. Even before it's worked out, I can praise you now. If I embrace waiting, if I have an excitement because I'm going through it with God, I can praise you in the meantime. If I know he's working, if I'm doing it with him, I can praise him with anticipation. Yeah? Amen? Well, that's hard. I don't know if you should say amen. That's tough. Number three, last one. Excitement of waiting on God leads to a desire to obey regardless of the command. I'm waiting. I don't know what he's going to tell me but I'm going to obey him regardless. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do what he says regardless of what he tells me. Moses went to the people. He gave them the Lord's words and they responded everything he says we will do. Now this is sad because they said it and they didn't really follow through with it. That's kind of sad, but that's where Moses was. I'm going to obey you, God. This is where we need to be. If I have an excitement for waiting on God, we have to get to the point while we are waiting to say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I want to follow you regardless of what that means, regardless of what that looks like on the other side. I want to obey you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do because I'm, I'm looking for your voice. I'm looking for your answer, not mine. Is that really true? Am I really looking for God's answer or am I just kind of wanting my answer to maybe be okayed by God? Am I really looking for that? Or am I saying, God, here's what's going on. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. God, I, I worship you in the meantime because I know what you're going to do is better than anything I could ask or imagine. I'm going to do it, whatever you tell me. So that's where we are. So what is your attitude towards that? What is your attitude toward waiting on God? Just look at that. Something there. I don't know if you are experiencing a season right now where you are 
waiting on God. Maybe you are praying about something. Maybe you are seeking God. Maybe you need to hear from God. You need God to answer something right now. What is your attitude? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not in a period like that at all. But I guarantee you, you will be. Or someone you know. What is your attitude towards waiting on God? What is that? Patience for God to move in His time. An anticipatory worship. A desire to obey regardless of the command. I told you that... Uh, I'd be sharing, I think I told you this, from, uh, from our own experience in this, in this series from uh, our own life, from Nikki and I. About, uh, about a year ago, we took a trip to see my mom. And I can't, I can't tell a whole lot because this stuff, this uh, sermon is online and some of that stuff is um, a little bit sensitive to where she is and, and what she's doing. But we went and visited my mom in Kenya. And uh, when we got back, I told you guys a lot of these stories for, for those of you who are, who are here. But when we went and visited my mom in Kenya, um, it was a vacation and, and she lives over there. But we were over there for two weeks and, and it was a pretty amazing experience. And, and even though we were only there for uh, vacation stuff, we built some pretty amazing people or made some pretty amazing uh, connections with people over there and uh, there's a number of people in Kenya that are um, relocated there because of uh, persecution in their own countries because it's a little bit safer there um, at least in Nairobi than um, in their own countries where there's a lot of um, especially if you have were Muslim and, and then you became a Christian and then um, there's persecution for that and so they a lot of them escaped to Nairobi and I was invited to speak at a church um, like that because they knew I was a pastor and that was amazing and then we were staying at a place where there was a, a seminary, and I walked up to the seminary and uh, talked to some people just because, you know, I'm a pastor, and I went to seminary, and I thought, what is an African seminary like? And, and it was basically one building, and um, it was very different than a seminary in America, but um, it was really cool, and I met a guy. Um, I, we talked about this before. His name is Dan, and he is um, a tribal guy, and um, it's really cool to, to build a relationship like that. We have kept in touch ever since and, and been able to uh, support him and, and have a relationship and he tells me all the time we talk on uh, WhatsApp that he prays that we will come and speak to his people and all these kinds of things and um, it's been really cool to keep that relationship coming. And when we got back from that, that trip, Pastor Mike was on sabbatical and um, over the summer I began to, with the elders, um, preach a lot over the summer and, and um, you know, was, was taking care of the staff and, and leading the staff and a lot of different things around the church. And, and God began to uh, speak to me. And when I became the uh, executive pastor, the whole um, plan was that it, it would be um, a season of time, didn't know how long it would be, um, but it would be between being a youth pastor and then being um, something else, a lead pastor or, or whatever, um, somewhere else, but that it would be a training time for me between being a, a youth pastor and something else. I didn't know how long it would be. But, but from this trip and from um, doing a lot of this stuff over the summer, God started to speak to me. God started to knock on my heart. And so I went through this period of, of seeking God starting in the summer and, and as Pastor Mike got back of, of saying, Lord, um, what is it that you want me 
to do that. God, what do you want me to do? What is your will? What is your plan? And I began to listen, and I began to seek him. And I talked to, talked to Pastor Mike when he got back, and eventually we talked to the elders, and, and I began to seek God. God, what is your plan? And I thought maybe, um, you know, the natural thing, and, and just what I assumed was probably to become a senior pastor, and, and that's, you know, just the natural thing for a guy my age and, and my experience. And I began to seek God. Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and seek him and listen and seek him and listen. This began in the fall. And just seek God and listen. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know where I would go, but just trying to seek God and listen. And, and I, as I, I listened to God and, and tried to have a prayer time every day, this first one um, eventually came as I experienced God every single day, this, this patience for God to move in his time. And a verse that I prayed every single day is in Isaiah's commission where um, God is, is seeking out who will go for him, who will speak for him. And, and Isaiah's prayer is, here I am, send me. And I got up every single morning and in my prayer time, I'm, I'm having my prayer and, and that was one of my prayers every morning. God, here I am, send me. Just send me. Wherever you want me to be, send me. And as I prayed that, and as I, I, I had um, my experience with God, as I experienced God, it was in God's presence every day, He brought that, that patience for me to move in His time. But as I was going through the months and, and seeking God, the next thing He began to show me was, wherever I do take you, it will be better than you can imagine. It will be perfect. Not because any place you go is perfect, but because it's my plan, because it's my will, it will be perfect. That anticipatory worship is what came next. God, I'm so excited for whatever you do. It's, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. And God began to bring that into my heart. And so I'm planning, Lord, all right, you're probably going to bring me to a church of like 300 people it's going to be pretty sweet or, or maybe like five or six hundred or something like that. And that's just what I'm, you know, planning. Um, but, but God is, is working on my heart and changing me and, and working in me. And that third one began to come as, as a desire to obey regardless of what it is. A regardless of what the plan became. And then we were getting ready for the elder retreat um, just a few weeks ago. And I was doing a fast, and I, I said, Lord, yeah, I don't know what it is. And, and I had a few different churches um, that I was interviewing with that, that, um, to become their lead pastor. And, and they were calling me and, and talking to me, and I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. And I began um, doing my fast and, and seeking God. And one of the things that, that stuck out to me as I'm preparing to help um, with the the elder retreat and the mission and the vision and things like that I'm looking at stuff and one of the things that God stuck out to me as I'm looking at these things and, and all this different stuff um, is that my parents were missionaries when I was born something I always loved growing up doing on my own and, and different times was missions and God laid that on my heart and my wife and I began to look what would it be like to potentially become missionaries what would that mean what would that do my wife is finishing up her degree in teaching and we looked at a couple different mission organizations and we found one that uh, works with 
Christian churches, or sorry, Christian schools all over the world. And we knew that, that for her, she could do it easily because she's going to be a teacher. But for me, I'm not a teacher. I don't have a teaching license. Um, but in this organization, there are um, chaplains at a lot of the schools. And so I looked at this and I said, well, you know, we have these relationships in Nairobi. And, and there's a, this, this tribal pastor I would love to work with. And the, all these other people that I would love to work with. I don't know if I would want to go anywhere else besides Nairobi. Yeah, that really goes with number three. But, but that's, you know, that is what I feel like from God. And so we looked at this organization. And they had two schools that needed a chaplain this upcoming year. And one of them was in Singapore, but that's already being filled. And the other one that had an opening for a chaplain was in Nairobi. And so we talked to them, and we applied, and the director was coming to America, and he was going to be in Memphis at their headquarters, and we went down and, and we um, talked to them and, and interviewed and then the principal called us from Nairobi and we interviewed. And next week we're going to talk about when God reveals his plan to you. So come back next week and we will tell you what happened. Um, just joking. Um, and so in July, um, my wife and our two kids are going to be moving to Nairobi in Kenya. Uh, to become missionaries at a school there um, where I'm going to be the chaplain and my wife is going to um, teach in their PE and help with um, special needs kids at a Christian school there. And we began to seek God last year, about springtime-ish, summer, listen to him, allow him to transform us all the way till really just about two weeks ago when he revealed his will. And when you go through this process, seek God, allow him to speak. He does amazing, incredible things. Have patience, worship him, and allow him to transform your will. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, good father. Lord, we worship you before we know how things will turn out because we know that you have our best interests better than we could ever know, better than we could even ask or dream. We know you are with us. We know you are for us. So God, I pray right now that if there is anything that we are dealing with, any of us have right now that, that we are holding on to, anything that we need to know from you, God, that we would lay that down at your feet. Jesus, that we would have patience for you to move that along in your time, God. God, that we would be able to worship you in the meantime, not hold it against you, not be angry, not be upset, but worship you in the meantime. And God, that we would have the desire to obey you. Regardless, Lord, now for what you command, because we know what you say is going to be amazing. When you reveal it, when you show it, we know it's going to be amazing, God. So Lord, I pray we can lay that down. 
And we can know you are awesome. That you are good. That you are worthy to be praised. So Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for all you are doing and will do. And we love you so much. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray.